The Speed Series episodes are straight to the point, no BS answers to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question and want it answered, submit your question using the link in the description. Thanks for listening, and good luck this season. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude Speed Series Q&A. Today, we've got Bo Hammock on the line to help us answer some listener questions. We discuss access routes, our setups for this fall, picking this specific tree based on thermals, prevailing winds, and terrain features in the area, as well as some talk about the Kentucky opener coming up this weekend. So I think there's a bunch of takeaways from today's show. Hope you enjoy it. One last thing before we get into today's show, if you're looking to pick up any last minute gear before season, head over to latitudeoutdoors.com, pick out what you need. You can save 20% off your order by using the code in session. That's one word in session. You can find that in the description of this podcast as well. Also, if you haven't checked out Latitude Outdoors on YouTube, go check that out. We have a bunch of different web series over there. We have the in session series. We have the grit series, which is all the hunts from the team last year. And then they have hunt recaps as well, which are very informative. So I've learned a ton from those videos over there. I think that you guys would enjoy them. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. Let's get right into it. We are back today with Bo Hammock. Bo, thanks for coming down, man. Absolutely, man. It wasn't uh, too bad of a drive at all. Got a little workout in this morning. It was a good uh, good start to the day here. So let's see what we can get into. We did the bow hunter workout, which is for anybody interested, it's it's kind of a challenge. We started online, started tagging people in, but you have to do 25 sets of five pull-ups, five push-ups, five sit-ups, and five air squats, and then you have to run five miles. And it seems like the time to beat is roughly around that hour time frame right now. Today, we did a what, hour 14. Hour 14. So that's pretty yeah. good. It was your first gravel road run, which it, changes things a little bit. Yep, it was. It was. Uh, I'm glad we decided to do it before the podcast as well because it wasn't as hot this morning. Yeah, and you know the other thing too, you you start doing that stuff with a buddy, like you you do a, like some sort of challenge workout, and you guys are pushing each other. So we right off the start, we're doing like 40 second loops. Started way set. too fast, but it's yeah. all right. Let's dive right into this thing. Really excited to cover some of these questions. I've been sitting on these questions for a while. There's actually like two or three of them that we're going to go through and they all kind of are along the same lines. So first question is going to be a breakdown of our mobile setups. And then we're going to get into a little bit of access into the tree, how you're picking the tree in hill country based on thermals, wind switches throughout the day, everything like that. And then we're going to go into just talking about like general cover in the tree as well. Let's kick it off. What's your uh, what's your setup that you're rolling into the woods with this year? So I am running the same thing that I ran last year, which was a uh, point DS.5 along with their 14-inch doubles and their 17-inch aiders. I just like those smaller profile steps to stay lower than the, the neck of the stand when it's on my back. And it, it works out perfect trying to get into these areas that we are trying to access and stay low and stay into cover so we can get into where, where we need to be. Are you running three sticks or four? Sticks. So I'm actually last year in the late season, I ran two, but uh, when I'm down in the hill country, I'll, I'll put three on there. I would switch between three and four for the most part, you know, with these new carbon SS sticks that I'm running. They're 17 inch sticks. I have the 17 inch aiders on them. The attachment method is just amp steel. So these things are light. And they're super packable, so packing four of them for me on my stand is no problem at all. I flip them upside down. I'll actually have to show you the the packing method after the podcast, but basically I run a figure eight with all these on the wings, and it just cinches them in together, yeah. like into themselves. And I've literally never seen a stick that packs that tight. Like I, there is no rattling or shaking or anything. So I'm running, like you can see right now, I've got yep. three on the stand upside down on the DS5. 
I run a really big seat cushion because I like to use it as a knee pad too. Because yeah. I'll sit, like my primary setup is always going to be sitting. I want to sit as much as possible, but I will end up saddle hunting out of it and then using the seat as a knee pad quite a bit. So yep. I like to have a cushy knee pad just in case I get in that situation. So, you know, we've got our setups. Let's get into access a little bit. And this is all going to roll into basically how we're picking the tree. For me, the thing I want to touch on here is, you know, right now I'm four days out of Kentucky opener and I've been thinking about access a lot. And I've got, you know, some spots that are going to be like, let's say 400 yards from the road down there. And some of my access routes to get into those spots are over two miles. And it's just circling around to get in there the right way, a way a deer's never seen a human enter that system before. You know, the deer set up bedding overlooking a lot of these access routes and a lot of these areas where people normally come from. It's just typically what I find. I find deer overlooking human activity. And so if you can beat that, if you can figure out where they want to be, where they want to bed, where they want to go to, and how to cut them off without being seen, you're just, you're going to be in the game. So for me, access, you know, I'm, I'm keeping a very light setup. I'm not even going to run a pack for most of my year this year. I'm going to keep a light setup. You know, this thing right here, I have a nail gene holder on the side of it on my waist belt. I'm running the TX5, uh, transport system. Like basically I just, I want water. I want my stand, my sticks. I want a knife, a headlamp and my bow. And I'm going to go in there and kill a deer. Like, I don't need to have all this stuff with me. I'm going to have a camera guy with me the majority of the time doing the filming for me. So if you take the filming aspect out of the equation, it lightens up the pack a lot. 100%. So... That's another thing that I that I dumbed down quite a bit from last year too. I I ran a A7S3 for my primary rig last year, and I actually I I went down to doing a cell phone because everything's so close and so up close and personal with the camera. I dude I had never used a camera prior to self filming, so it was such a crazy rig that I wasn't even touching the surface of it, like what it could actually do. Yeah, and I just dumbed it down. I got uh, I'm still running the um, custom. Your arm and the pocket arm and I run the Rogan underneath my seat. So I ran the the mesh seat last year with my 0.5 and I just I didn't like it. I could attach my Rogan, my Kafaru Rogan to the bottom of my seat when I changed to a 22 inch post and a 0.75 seat with the extra foam pad so that way I could put that underneath my seat and my the arm is I attach it to my Rogan and put it up underneath my seat. So that way there's nothing on the back of my seat. I don't run a backpack or anything like that. So that's my setup. And then I just use the, I use the regular straps that come with the stand for the backpack straps. And I use a night eyes gear tie for attaching it to the stand that has its gives and takes. Cause I'm trying to find ways to make it less quiet. Everything's stealth stripped. I actually switched from cam buckles this year to the, uh, the pros with the, uh, Prusix yeah, on them to you. help tighten them up. So I switched to those this year and I'm really liking those. Cause that also cuts down on the noise. I'm still running a strap for the stand, the cam buckle for the stand. Cause I'm not quite, I like how that can cam over and really bite on the tree. So I kept that the same. Yeah. Yeah. I still run the cam buckle on the stand too. And you know, the whole concept here is we're both kind of minimalist with this stuff. We're both simplifying our setups and I just want to get to the tree. I want to have an efficient process. I want to have a lightweight process because a lot of these access routes like Kentucky's forecasted in the mid nineties. 
well, a two and a half mile trip in the mid nineties is really getting after it in the hills. Like you're, brutal. Yeah, it's going to be brutal. So the more weight you have, it is just something to to think about. I can run two different water bottles. I'll run the thirty two ounce Nalgene if it's a shorter hike, and if it's yep. a far one where I know I can filter water, I'll take my Grail. I have that compressible water filter that acts as a water bottle too. So you can have unlimited water. So yeah, so that's pretty much the setups. Uh, you know, the access thing, having these minimalist setups, obviously it's going to help the situation a lot. I'm really focused on finding areas to hunt where the access has to be odd. Like nope. if it's an area where the access is almost perfect, it's probably going to have some sort of hunter intrusion, in my opinion, if there's any sort of pressure in that area. So I like to find the ones that people probably look at and think, man, that would be really difficult to hunt. And I like to just expose like this 1% weakness, you know, with the prevailing wind, with the thermals, with a creek that's pulling your, your scent, all these factors I try to pull together on a specific food source over a specific bedding area. I just try to make the right access route to get in there. Yep. Um, one of these questions was, there's actually it, like a question was picking about picking the specific tree based on yep. cover and everything else. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. And yep. then another question was more about thermals and switches and how the wind will, you know, rise and drop throughout the night and everything else. And I think that both these are really important to talk about at the same time when I'm going in, because this is all things that are going through my head. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking about access and only access on the way in. I'm thinking about access. I'm thinking about my thermals dropping in the night. I'm thinking about the prevailing wind. I'm thinking about how much cover I'm going to have in a specific tree. So when I get in a spot before I pick a tree to sit in, all of that's going through my my mind and I'm calculating as good as I can, hey, you know, this tree has this advantage, but it has this weakness. This one has this advantage and it has this weakness. And I'm trying to just come up with the tree that makes the most sense that's going to give me the best chance at that deer right. based on where I think he's coming from. So, you know, like I'll typically on my access routes, I'll burn a lot of ground off the off the start, depending on what the deer can hear if I'm on an adjacent ridge or if I'm coming up through a drainage. My favorite thing to do is work up drainages. I like to stay low as much as possible and then pop up if I need to, or just hunt the hub scrape down in the bottom, whatever needs to happen. But uh, knowing it's going to be hot, this is a, a something that I don't think it's talked about enough. I, I hear a ton of people talk about October cold fronts and how great these cold fronts are. And you know what? I would say that ma the majority of the time that is going to be a, that's going to be what you want. So those cold fronts in most situations, unless you're a hub hunter in hill country. Because what I see is, and these, you know, when I'm scouting a ridge, I'm scouting for bedding that's on north facing slopes a lot for a south wind. Yep. So that predominant prevailing south wind. So on a hot day, when the sun's beating on all the ridges around, the only ridge that's shaded is a steep north ridge. Yep. So I'm focused on hubs that have steep north ridges and the deer are going to be cooler there. It's going to be a little bit damp. It's going to be cool. The thermals aren't going to pull up the ridge as much because it's shaded compared yep. to everything else. So you have a bunch of things that are already working towards you being in the right spot. And now it's 95 degrees all day. That deer at night, and, and from what I've seen in the hills over the, my years of hunting, is they will almost always go low before they go high because they want water. If you have water, a water source down low on a hot day, they're going to come low, drink out of that water. And this isn't a guarantee. Right. You know, it's not a guarantee by any means. This is just something that I experience, And this is, this is my game plan. Yeah. I'm running everybody through my plan in my head right now. Hot days, 90 degrees plus, they're going to go low and get water. Yep. And then they're going to go up and feed. So in my opinion, they're not going to go straight up and feed on dry acorns right off the rip without getting water. Yep. That doesn't make a lot of sense. They've, they've been sitting around for 12 hours not drinking water. And so I like to find systems that have steep north-facing slopes and water down low 
on the way to a food source. So they're going to be the bedding. You basically just eliminated, you know, 75% of the bedding in most circumstances. And you also eliminated a lot of travel routes on those hot days. So I have killed the majority of my opening day deer or early season deer, which is basically what I do more than anything else in like above 80 degree weather. And some of my biggest deer have been all the way up to 96 degrees. My biggest deer ever was 96 degrees on a North slope coming down to a water source. He fed on a white Oak before he hit a Creek to drink water. And I shot him before he got there. And so that's, it's actually kind of funny. I, I look at hot days, early October and everybody kind of gets, you know, turned off a little bit. I'm excited, man, you're, because you're giddy to get yeah, in there. I mean, we got a lot of things going for us. It's going to be opening day of college football. It's yep. going to be opening weekend of the NFL week one. There's not going to be a lot of hunters in the woods because it's too hot. It's buggy. It's snaky. Labor day weekend. The deer, on top of that. the Labor day weekend and the deer are all pinched into these little areas because of this condition. So yep. It's the perfect storm if you're a hub hunter in hill country, in my opinion. Like, there is no better time to go target a buck in a hub, 100%. dropping low. So, that's just something to think about. You know, I, I've been called crazy many times going out to the woods on the day of a hunt, like on the opener, and then I drag a buck out that afternoon, yep. and they're just like, how did you kill this thing? Yeah, you're calling buddies at yeah. 8, 9 o'clock out there in the middle middle of the woods till 2 o'clock in the morning, packing a deer out two miles to, to your truck. Exactly. So, you know, for me, going to the tree... Like, let's say I'm walking up a drainage. When I get about 500 yards out, I start slowing down a lot, depending on the terrain, of course. But when I'm like 100 yards out, I start actually range finding the tree. I'll sit down and listen for specific oak trees dropping acorns. I'll try to listen for squirrels chattering to figure out where they're at, because this is all going to formulate the plan of the tree I'm going to sit in. I Typically, I don't have a specific tree very often, unless it's like the perfect storm, which I do have a couple of those. But a lot of them, it's like, okay, it's going to be situational based on the specific tree that's hot, because that's going to dictate the movement a little bit. But you you have so many things that you can pay attention to that are going to help you decide that like the squirrels and like listening for acorns hitting dropping. branches on the way down or dropping into the leaves. You know, it's very obvious sound. When I get close, I start formulating that. And then when I find the tree I want to be in, I start actually range finding the tree. And then I'll, I'll be like, okay, I want to be in the tree by 2.30 in the afternoon. Right now it's uh, 12.45. So I'm 100 steps away from that tree. I need to close 100 steps in 100 minutes. So I'm going to take one step per minute. And I know how that sounds. I know that sounds ridiculous. But when like these systems that we're targeting are the reasons we're there are because the deer bedded within daylight activity of that bottom. So, you know, a lot of times they can see the bottom or they can hear the bottom. So if you just walk in regularly, you're getting blown out every single time. And you won't even know it. Exactly. So for me, it's I start ranging that tree and I start taking those one steps. And like with the camera guy, I'll take a step. And then he'll take a step. So we might have to double that time that it'll take to get there. It's the most painstaking process, by the way. I've taken guys that when I'm walking in and accessing like that, they're like, what are you doing, man? I'm like, we're killing a deer. Like this is, this is what it takes in a lot of these situations. I know that, you know, there's a, I would say that probably the majority of people just walk to a tree and set up and you're just, you, you can kill like that. Don't get me wrong, but you're also going to ruin some hunts where if you just go in there with the, Hey, that deer is bedded there and he can almost see that and he can hear it. I'm going to be on a totally different level and I'm going to sneak up there. I'm going to get to that tree and sneak in the tree and kill him. When you have that mindset, like that killer mentality, I just, I, I approach every hunt like that. Like by the time I get done with a hunt, the amount of exhaustion that I have from, oh, okay. you know, because you're in that stalk mode, like stalking through the woods is a very, very painful thing. So my process is that it's, you know, I'm, I get close, 
I, I figure out where the acorns are, like which ones are falling, where I think the deer are going to want to go. Like I'm even looking ahead of me, looking for sign or looking for trails through grass or uh, leaves that are broken on a trail or like a creek crossing, whatever it may be. And then when I decide that, I decide how long it's going to take to get there. I'm thinking about the thermal switch how that's going to play into it. I'm thinking about the exact prevailing wind. Um, typically I'm accessing alongside some sort of south facing slope in some way, shape or form. That way it pulls my thermals up and out of the system. And if I can, what I like to do is like, I can think about my open and set in Kentucky that I'm probably going to take on the forecasted wind right now, where I'm going to uh, set up right on that south facing slope. So my thermals are pulling up all day. So they're, they're completely out of the equation. Do you have a, do you have a Creek between you and the north facing slope? I mean, it, it could be a Creek in the right time of year. It's a dry, it's a Creek bed. Okay. It's going to be dry for sure. But, but now, yeah, if you have that, that just adds to the, you know, now you're really bulletproof because if you get any swirl or if, at night when your thermals do start dumping, it's just going to take that Creek out. Being on the South side of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's all those things are going through my head. Uh, what about you? What's your access look like? So last year, like I told you before, right after our workout, last year was my first year really diving into the hill country down here. So it's still really brand new down here. But the one hub that I had focused on, on those, those couple bucks with that camera system that I had set back through to that hub staged and whatnot, I had a creek that separated myself between the north and south slope. It was a, the sea was facing, the hub was facing the west. The wind, I'd try to keep it in my face or almost like uh, just quartering off of me one way or the other so I could stay pretty close to that creek and use the wind and thermals. I sat twice in there last year and uh, with no prevail, but I also found out that they're crossing over into that other hub system, like I told you earlier, but I dialed in on a little bit more this year. So with my experience with like, we'll call them hubs, but it's just little rolling hills um, in farm country, deer's traveling a lot more aggressively and a lot farther than they do in hub systems early season. Corn's still up, beans are still up. Now most beans are yellow and brown by this time, so they're not even focused on them. I had a couple oak flats and I'd focus on a couple scrapes on the upper ridges of these little hubs, but it was off this big waterway, I'll call it, just so I don't give too much away. I would access by canoe. I'd get up into these drainages as far as I could so with the canoe being as quiet as I could be, rather than getting on the, the leaves and walking up and in, and I just set up on the quartering wind on the north or south side of the drainage. And that's where I should also bring this in now. My son was born on the 2nd of November. So I was trying to hammer it hard early season. And with all the corn and everything still up, I think they had they'd stayed primarily out in a lot of that prior to coming to the switch of the acorns and whatnot and just being busy with that. But pulled all the cameras this past year and I, I was in all the right places doing all the right things that I needed to be doing, but that just access was mainly by canoe and, and most of my farm country stuff. Water access is huge. I need to focus on it more. I'm, it actually still intimidates me a lot. It's just one of those things in my head where I just have to figure it out. I have to go do it a couple times and I feel like it'll be a, like a comfortable thing. Uh, I look at Kentucky the same way. You know, we're foot accessing everything and there's some really good spots that look like money yeah. that take a kayak or canoe access to get to. I look at them like, I just need to do it. I need to go do it. I have spots that I can look at and say, you know what, there's farmer fields here that are private. The point of this river or this core land has like one little oxbow out there and that sets up perfect for wind-based bedding. It's a shallow part of the river where you can see that they could run across it if they need to. 
it looks right. I don't know. I haven't scouted it, but I need yeah. to get in there and start checking up on those things. Well, just like you said, you're you're trying to take them by surprise. You're doing your two mile loops, and I'm only I'm doing just a little bit different. Everybody's parking in the same parking area. You got four or five trucks that come down this gravel road and these deer bed 100, 150 yards away from this parking area on the one side. And they know exactly where these people are going. They'll listen to them, get out of their truck, slam their doors. And whether they come towards where they're bedding, not not to mention there's a ton of honeysuckle in this area. So you could walk 10 yards from a giant bedded buck. He's not going to move. He'll just stay right there and, and wait till it's dark and go about his way. So I found this back doorway, come in with the canoe, and I had a couple encounters. They were just the honeysuckle screwed me over more than it did anything early season last year. And just trying to find that right tree in between the scrape or the acorns or whatever they're headed for the night was was tough just because of these the tops were just covered in honeysuckle and the bottoms were nice and open, just get nice and tucked up to one side or the other for the prevailing. And it almost worked out, but it didn't last year, unfortunately, which I got on some good, great deer late season. But once again, I just actually, we're getting ready to get into that in the next question here. So let's get into that now. Let's get into cover a little bit. And this is, you're going to be thinking about cover a lot when you're picking the tree to be in. You're deciding how far up you want to go. This is why I bring a lot of sticks because I really hate choosing the tree. I, I hate hunting a tree. I like hunting the spot I need to be in. So for me, I like to just say, hey, that's the tree. How can I make this work? Is there a situation that this tree will work? And I've I've killed in some trees that people would probably look at and be like, there's no way I'm sitting in that thing because it's wide open. Well, yeah, there's no limbs on the tree, but there's a bunch of cover around the area, whether it's bushes, whether it's uh, other foliage off other of the other trees nearby. I only need cover up to the point where I'm shooting the deer in the chest. Besides that, I don't care about any of the cover. If they walk by me, well, at that point, you know, this is came back to bite me before actually with like does, but I typically don't see a lot of deer. So I'm in areas that are low deer density. So for me, a lot of times there's one deer in that system or a couple, and I might want to kill all of them. For me, it's like, okay, I need to pick a tree where I have the shot I need to have. And up to that point, I have the cover that I need. And if, if I don't have cover, I, a lot of times I just set up on the backside of the tree. But I don't look at a tree and think, oh man, look at all the cover that's in that tree. That's going to be a great place to sit. I don't, I don't look at it like that at all. I look at it like, hey, that's the tree I need to kill a deer out of. Does it have cover or not? And how can I make it work? I've never, I, I have before hunted trees. Like I've like looked at a pine and I'm like, oh, look at that spot up there. That'd be great. Well, I get up there and I, what are you, what are you shooting at? I'm not even shooting at a trail or anything. I'm just found a tree that had a lot of cover and it looked cool. And now I'm in a spot that feels cool and I feel adventurous, but I'm not going to kill a deer out of it. So for me, it's just the, I think the cover thing gets overcomplicated a lot. Like people overcomplicate it. For sure. I don't think it has to be. I think that it truly is just going to be most circumstances, find the tree that you need to be in or a couple options and then pick the one that's going to work best for that situation and try to make it work. That's a beautiful thing about our setups too, is we can set in our tree stand on our seat, or we can flip it around and use a saddle and use the, as the tree as cover. Yeah. So we both, that's great to touch on. We both use uh, saddles. I run the Latitude Method 2 saddle. And the whole concept there is that it is a hybrid setup. I get to the tree and I say, do I want to set up on the front side or the back side? If I'm on the front, I'm sitting like a traditional tree stand. Yep. If I'm on the back side, well, now I'm saddle hunting out of it. And I'm just as deadly like that. I love saddle hunting out of the tree stand, to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, the dominant side is always that whether, whether you shoot right or left-handed, that, that left-hand side, if you're right-handed, being your dominant side. So that way your bridge or nothing gets in the way. Yep. But then you can also adjust where your tethers on the tree, if you want it a little bit lower 
lower down toward your waist whenever you're sitting like that or if you want it up higher like face eye level whatever but yeah it's it's deadly either way honestly yeah i couldn't agree more i think it's it's really deadly so so yeah i just wanted to get that point across with the cover thing you know as season goes on the question was like as season progresses do you end up having to sit higher more often and you know getting more elevation higher in the tree so you're out of the deer's line of sight more. And I would say that I don't look at it like that. I still hunt very situational as far as height. And, you know, people give me flack about this too, about hunting too low. I've heard that before. Like I hunted a Michigan swamp and I didn't even put a stick on the tree. I just put my stand out of the tree to be out of the water because I had really good cover. As soon as the deer came around the corner, I could have shot him if he would have came out. And so like, it's just, it's very situational. There are times where I've actually had the camera guy take two sticks and we're 36 feet up on the side of a hill because the, I wanted to be eye level with the with the logging road that we were going to shoot when he came off his bed. There's also times late season where I actually will just sit right in a fallen tree on the ground and hunt out of that because it's the only cover around. Like if I get up in a tree, even if I'm 30 feet up You're gonna be in that situation, like I stick out like a sore thumb, he's going to skyline me. Yep. So I just hunt right on the ground in a fallen tree. It's so situational. I just enter the woods. I don't enter the woods with any sort of thought process on how high or low or how much cover I do or don't need in this specific situation. I enter the woods with the sole intention of killing a deer. That's my goal. My goal is to go in the woods and kill a deer. And whatever that takes, I I really don't care. I feel like you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, 100%. Like last year, uh, late season, I didn't make it back down to the hills. So I can't compare to anything to what you just talked about there. But I would say if anything, in my core area, my core public up closer to home, I even, I went from three sticks to two at towards the end of the season because all my cover was closer to the ground. Uh, my, one of my last hunts for my, one of my target deer last year was my stand was six inches off the ground and I just stepped up in it and used it on the backside of the tree. I put my sticks on the ground at, just cause that's where all the cover was at. And that's where this buck was daylighting. He was going from bedding to an, an old bean field where there was a couple strips that the farmer had left. So that's, that's where I needed to be. And that's where the cover was at. So I was, my stand was six inches off the ground. I, I he never come out that night, but still same thing. It's just whether you're 60 feet or six inches, wherever you got to be is where you got to be. Yeah. And you're going to make mistakes. Like I make mistakes all the time where I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I didn't do that right. If I, if I hunt this situation again, I'm going to have to you know mix it up. I've had trouble being extremely concealed and getting busted before. So I just think that there's, there's so much that goes into it. Another part of this question too, the next one was just, how do we get our sticks up the tree with us? So, you know, get to the base of the tree, pick out the tree. It has the right cover. You think that it's going to set up right for thermals. One of the most difficult things is getting all your gear up. Like it's a very difficult thing to do. I went back and forth throughout the years. Me personally, I run a couple of the 12 inch night eyes gear ties through the Molly straps on my saddle. And I just leave them off to the side when I'm, you know, transporting to the tree. And then when I get there, I just put a stick on each side and I just twist these things up a couple of times and I'm ready to rock and roll. What are you doing? So... It is a, I think it's a night eyes product, but it's the two-sided carabiners and the one is clipped to my Molly, but I took, and they have the, the little metal keepers on them. I took the metal keeper off the other side. So there's one on each side of my saddle and I 
stealth strip the whole thing so it doesn't clang or anything. But then I put a piece of paracord. I put a piece of paracord, just tied it on my stand, and then I hook that on each side. So for when I'm running three sticks, I'll put my first stick on the tree. Not that I need two of them, but just in case I would ever get to the point where I need four sticks. And when I come down here, I might change my mind someday. I can put one on each side, go up the tree, put the stand back on my back, and I make sure that everything's low enough the paracord's low enough on my molly loops so that way the steps don't hit the bottom of my stand. So that's how I'm going up with the two sticks on my side, lineman belt around the tree, always just to make sure with the boy now, just making sure safety's extra careful. And then I'll get I'll progress up the tree. Great. I mean, that's definitely a great way to do it. That's pretty much all I got, man. That was some good questions that were answered. Um, These things are normally short and sweet. So hopefully there's a couple of light bulb moments there for everybody. Thank you guys for listening to the show today. Bo, where can they find out more about you? So I got an Instagram page that's also connected with my Facebook. It's Bowhunter Adventures. Like I said, it's connected to Facebook. So whatever I post on Instagram also goes to that Facebook page. And then um, my personal stuff where I put most of my family stuff is uh, just bow hammock. Hopefully we'll be able to start put some stuff on YouTube, but got to gotta get connected here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that this is your year, man. No doubt about it. You've been putting the work in. Well, hey man, thank you for driving down here, getting workout in and Absolutely. jumping on this thing. I appreciate it. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time. Yeah.